0: The singularity is near. Blockchain, Longevity, computing, artificial intelligence, synthetic biology. Hey, my name is Sophie. I'm 16 year old on a mission to create the future. I'm learning a lot in this journey, and I want to share it with the world. This is the 2045 podcast. following through the podcast, you may already know that we like to bring some really interesting people working on innovations in exponential technologies and making a real impact in the world. Today, I couldn't be happier to welcome Michael. Michael is an undergraduate at the University of Toronto, fascinated by thinking of human immunology through first principles and engineering decision-making logic into cells. One of his projects is RNA interference for therapeutic purposes of COVID-19. He will also be an intern at the church lab very soon, which is, well, an amazing lab working on sick things in synthetic biology. And yes, we'll be talking about this science, synthetic biology, what it is, some of its most interesting applications, and we'll also get a little dive into bioinformatics. Michael, it's great to have you on the show.
1: Thank you so much, Sophia. Um, Thank you for having me on the show. Um, So, hi everyone, my name is Michael Train. As Sophia said, I'm a second year University of Toronto Life Sciences student. Um, my major, I'm focusing in genome biology as well as immunology. Um, my current interests are in the kind of the cross fields of bioinformatics and also genetic circuit or biological regulatory circuit design. Um, so kind of asking the question, how can we make, how can we break up bio, like systems of biology into smaller or modular parts that we can then build up into new systems that can achieve some sort of outcome, whether that be therapeutic, diagnostic, et cetera. So um, I'm really happy to be on the show and I'm really excited to be answering some of the questions that, that you have for me, Sophia
0: cool so just to get started how would you describe synthetic biology to someone who knows nothing about it but may be interested in it you know which is the tldr
1: i'd say synthetic biology is um it's the practice of breaking down biology into it's fun into fundamental parts that we can understand and manipulate to build something new so if you can think of biology if you can think of uh, traditional academic biology as finding out new facts about how nature works and finding out how about the game nature plays. And what we're trying to do is trying to understand with the current, knowing the current rules of the game that nature plays, how do we play by those rules but kind of make new moves that nature hasn't, that nature has, we haven't seen nature do. How do we make new game moves that nature hasn't done? Um, how do we build new systems that nature hasn't built? How do we uh, take current systems that nature already has but just use it and tweak it slightly for a completely different um, function? So synthetic biology, all in all, is just kind of that purpose of taking what we know from biology and manipulating these basic parts, these basic understandings, um, to gain some sort of new outcome or function.
0: Okay, and another question that I've seen that a lot of people have, including myself, is which is the main difference between synthetic biology and biotechnology? They say that the definition of synthetic biology isn't really clear yet. So which do you think is the main difference in this field?
1: So uh, to answer your question, um, synthetic biology, from my viewpoint, is building new systems from the basic understandings of, and parts that nature has provided us. So comparing that to biotechnology, biotechnology is very all-encompassing. It can include technology that reads DNA, that writes DNA, like assembles DNA, uh, sequences DNA. You can have technology that um, you know, technology that involves in like building new microfluidic systems. It's design, it's uh, drug discovery. All of that falls into the umbrella of biotech. So in my opinion, all synthetic biology is biotech, but not all biotech is synthetic biology.
0: All right, so I love that definition. It actually makes it easier to understand. And what I would get from this is that synthetic biology is a branch within biotechnology. Is that how you would understand it?
1: A very big branch, yeah. (laughs) A very big upcoming branch.
0: Absolutely. All right, and having understood that which is something that you personally are very excited about in synthetic biology? What's something that really blows your mind and that you think it's going to be the next big thing?
1: I, I say this to a lot of my friends. Um, probably the most slept on area of uh, bio, of synthetic biology right now is a field called self free synthetic biology. Um, it is a field that I recently myself discovered and started, getting, uh, started going into more. Um, it's basically the principle of cell-free synthetic biology is what happens if we take the, the DNA replication machinery, the, the transcription machinery and the, and the translational and the protein translation machinery from the cell, we rip it out of the cell and we put it into a chemical medium with no cell involved. So you you, you know you, you just have your polymerases, you just have your transcription factors, you just have your DNA and your RNA and your new polypeptides, but you don't have a cell. You have all the machinery of the cell, or at least the basic machinery of the cell. But you don't have the cell. What kind of systems can you design without cells? And it's a very interesting question that got asked by a, a lab here at the University of Toronto the, by Professor Keith Pardee. And, w- well, one of the first use cases that we've seen from this is um, Professor Pardee in his postdoc, I believe, uh, he engineered a paper, lit, almost like a litmus pH test. Um, it's kind of like you have a pH paper that, you know, it, depending on the pH level of a, of a of a aqueous solution, you give it, it'll turn a different color. Um, basically, he created a paper test for Zika virus for diagnosing uh, the presence of, a Zika, of the Zika virus in a patient. Um, Only with on a paper pa- on, on, a, on a slip of paper, yeah. Wow. And this is kind of what you can do with when you don't when you're not confined by a cell. See, cells are beautiful and they're awesome, and they you know they're they're basically these mini factories from a symbio perspective. The main problem is that they're still they're still living beings. You still got to feed them. You still need to grow them in culture. You need to have like a you need to have a medium for them, and that also restricts you kind of to have a lab, right? You also need like an incubator. You need to keep them in a specific temperature. They are living beings that have needs. Um, chemical systems, of course, still have a, a reasonable amount of needs, but it's not anywhere near the amount of effort you need to put into maintaining a cell line than it is to maintain like I don't know, a certain pH level in a piece of paper or something like that. So, the idea of self synth- synthetic biology is like, how do we? Uh, replicate nature's processes in the cell, without the cell, make things more scalable. And then when we we have some biosystems that are more scalable, obviously we can reach a lot more people and make a lot more of an impact when it comes to healthcare, when it comes to diagnostics, therapeutics, etc.
0: Wow. So would you say that the future of synthetic biology could be without cells?
1: I think a big part will be, I don't know, I, I don't want to say the entire future of synthetic biology will not have cells and we're just going to forget about them. Um, I definitely think uh, a big part of symbio will be involving, I should say on the therapeutic side of symbio. it's going to be involving manipulating the cells in our body rather than necessarily having to take cells out of our body, manipulate them and putting them back and kind of alluding to like what we do with CAR T cells today. Um, I think that will be very, that will be seen as very archaic and costly as it is. Um, I think, yeah. So I think we'll be we'll be When it comes to healthcare and specifically uh, cell therapeutics, we'll probably see a trend where we're manipulating our own cells in vivo um, by introducing these like the novel gene circuits to kind of engineer a T cell to have like a unique TCR, or car, actually a car, a, a, a T cell to have a unique car, um, car to uh, or set of unique cars to carry out a specific cancer-killing or pathogen-clearing task. Um, so that's, that's the cell side uh, for therapeutics, in my opinion. Uh, but I do think we're gonna see a lot of developments from uh, the cell-free side, especially when it comes to next level diagnostics, right? Like you can imagine how useful, like, if, like in, the, in a hypothetical world, if cell-free synthetic biology was more developed in 2020 or 2019, could you imagine how useful it would have been to have a paper test for coronavirus?
0: For Absolutely, yeah.
1: Right. Like you can imagine, the amount of the amount of death death that can be mitigated by that. So, um, I think the headwinds are kind of pointing the direction that we want scalable. We want scalable biotech solutions. We want scalable solutions that are cost efficient and that can be manufactured very well. I think self synthetic biology, by nature, um, poses a much better advantage to answer this problem.
0: Okay, and talking about the future, which is an innovation that you think we will see within the next 10 years that is really going to change our world. And, you know, I've read Regenesis by George Church, and he talks about having a panacea for all viruses by flipping the shape of our DNA or bringing extinct species to life and those sort of things. So, which is something of that kind that really blows your mind?
1: There's so many different things that we can achieve, and it really depends on what... Branch of symbi- synthetic biology we're talking about when it comes to like mammalian or cell-free or bacterial. I think we're back I can give maybe one example that I, I I would love to. I am really optimistic that we can see in the next few decades um, for bacterial synthetic biology, which is like you know manipulating E. coli to like manufacture some sort of chemical like uh, insulin or something. I really am optimistic that we'll probably that we will hopefully see. Um, A line of bacteria that can be that can be basically scaled in a foundry to um, hopefully absorb effectively absorb CO two from the air, like carbon dioxide from the air, um, and transfer that maybe into clean oxygen. That might be a very, in my opinion, I think that's a very very big problem that's staring in the face of all humanity. And I think (laughs) uh, bacterial synthetic biology has a really really good opportunity to kind of shine that light and kind of take advantage of its of its if it's decent scalability because bacteria uh,
0: and basically utilize some sort of bacteria like, like I said to take CO2 from the air, filter it and
1: turn it into oxygen. From um, mammalian synth- synthetic biology, I think uh, a much more reliable I think we'll, I think we'll probably have a reliable set a, of biobricks or plasmids or some sort of genetic engineering vector and, uh, and so let me repeat that. I think from mammalian synth- synthetic biology we're going to have a, a set of specific tools. Uh, in terms of specific genes and circuits that will be able to implement in vivo into a cancer patient's body to manipulate their, um, likely their adaptive and anal- maybe some of their in- in- immune system as well, in order to, com- to, um, to combat different types of cancers. So you can imagine like uh, some sort of like circuit planner where for a cancer patient, if they have, let's say, HER2-positive breast cancer, um, and they also, and like Leah, let's say you have HER2-positive breast cancer um, and like a specific, uh, they they need a really specific type of cell therapy. Um, and let, let's assume by then that cell therapies are more viable than chemotherapy. We have to assume that. Um, but let's assume that cell therapy is more viable, and if they have her two positive breast cancer, let's say they, they can they can basically pick, or the doc, or let's say the doctors can pick um, specific uh, receptors and um, like decision making logic to engineer into the into patient's cell uh as to how to be, best attack this cancer and then once that they, they've decided on on the design for the cell they can then introduce the genetic edits in a, in a specific vector into the patient's body such that you have an in vivo car t a smart in vivo car t i should say that can that can be basically personalized for the patient's tumor so almost like personal personalized medicine but in a scalable sense that we can just introduce a genetic a set of genetic edits into the person's immune system specifically whatever uh, immune cell we're, tra- we're, tra- we're trying to manipulate and then have that manipulated smart immune cell, smart CAR T cell, NK cell, et cetera, um, deal with this person's specific tumor. And I think that would be a very, very big, I don't want to say it's a panacea, but that's probably a very big step towards a panacea. In my opinion, that would be for, uh, for treating tumors.
0: Yeah, and something that you've mentioned just a little bit, but I'd like to go deeper into is that synthetic biology, at least I think that a lot of people, or at least including myself, used to think that it is all about bacteria. You know, iGEM's logo is a bacteria. You right now have uh, bacteria as a profile picture, and it's not, right? You can also work with mammalian cells. So what can you tell us about this misconception?
1: Like I said, um, so uh, with the mammalian, so when I want to mention that like in people, car T that I'd, we classified that as mammalian, mammalian synthetic biology. So that is, um, for the most part, devoid of working with bacteria. Um, we can say, we take a lot of the, the engineering principles that was done in bacteria cause bacteria was kind of like the first step, mm-hmm. but, um, mammalian synthetic biology in terms of mo- mostly working with human and mice cells, my cell lines. I think that'll probably be a very big, that, that already is becoming a, a bigger and bigger area. Um, just, uh, I believe, um, the, you know, so basically a lot of companies in the bacterial synthetic biology space, they own what we call biofoundries. These are basically large facilities where you can culture large amount of cells and basically manipulate them to do some sort of unique, uh, function. And I think, uh, Ginkgo Bioworks, which is one of the bigger companies in the space, based in yeah. Boston, um, they are, they, I believe they have three bacterial foundries. Don't quote me on that, but I think they have three bacterial foundries and they are now opening their first mammalian synthetic biology lab. Um, and the nice thing about mammalian synthetic biology is that, um, like I said, there's a direct, there's, there's a direct, um, there's a direct uh, very clear application, right? But prokaryotic synthetic biology is more like, is, is very is much like the Wild West, where um, things that can be manufactured on mass, that is going to be, um, like, that is fair game for for uh, prokaryotic synthetic biology. Mammalian synthetic biology, the clear problems that are staring in their face are diseases whether treating them or diagnosing them um, and I think cell-free synthetic biology kind of this third, this third section um, has potential to it has the potential to, to contribute a lot of value to the to the, um, the problems that face mammalian synthetic biology ie diagnostics or treatment And I think kind of like a marriage of cell-free systems
0: into mammalian synthetic biology applications would be really really ideal Great. So this definitely clarifies a doubt that I had for such a long time. And I guess that my main takeaways are that synthetic biology is obviously not only about bacterial cells. However, you would like to use those primarily to manufacture things such as bioplastics, biofuels and those sort of things, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. One really interesting point I heard this morning on a podcast about, some, about synthetic biology as well was um, there was a PhD. From I believe he was from France, and he was talking about how, if you look around you right now, uh, if you look at pretty much anything we're using, whether that is a component on your laptop, whether that's the covering of your wire, um, almost everything we use in our modern world um, relies on the work of synthetic chemistry, which emerged about which, which emerged about around a century ago. And now we can't imagine a world without synthetic chemistry. The plastic, everything yeah. from the plastics you use. To the um, to the covering of the wires, like synthetic chemistry is absolutely everywhere, and he his idea was that synthetic biology proved, is is kind of where synthetic chemistry was 100 years back. It's in the development stage. We're starting to figure out what we can do with it, but the potential, um, huge. Like the potentialities and applications are completely are not entirely. We, we don't really understand how much we can do with this yet, which is kind of humbling, but also also really beautiful if you kind of think about that that way.
0: Exciting, right? <laughs> Well, moving on a little bit, I saw your website, and you're obviously working on some really dope projects. So please tell us about that.
1: Yeah, for sure. So, um, up in, so I have spent the last uh, about one year. So, besides university work, of course, and uh, learning from TKS, which has been incredibly valuable. Um, some of the main highlights of me of the last year where I, I've been working on these projects. I've mainly been. Um, Primarily, so the first, first major project I can talk about is, uh, was basically building um, I was basically designing uh, s- s- um, SIRNA, so basically these are a type of R- special type of RNA that regulate gene expression. So I was designing specific RNA um, SIRNA, or small interfering RNA sequences um, to target specific regions of the genome for uh, SARS-CoV-2 or the virus that causes uh, COVID-19. So it was basically like designing a COVID-19 therapeutic from scratch. Um, So I I utilized a bunch of open open source bioinformatics tools. Um, I generated a pool of about 99 uh, small interfering RNA candidates. I used a few very standard uh, bioinformatics tools like, um, what was it, like um, like Blast and um, also like um, just like basic alignment tools as well as, yeah, mostly like Blast BLAST searches. but I also use like some um, siRNA generation tools to also filter down like uh, for like uh, binding affinity for um, off-target and on-target um, effects.
0: You also and told me something about uh, using C and R languages, right?
1: Oh, that is for a different project. I did not use C and R for this specific project. Okay. I, um, I I I very much use open source bioinformatics tools to kind of uh, bootstrap a process to design these siRNAs that. Um, that yeah, i wrote and writing a, a white paper about and that um that were pretty much uh that in my opinion were ready for uh in vitro testing and uh wow. yeah so it was really it was a really good value it was a very valuable experience i um kind of set out not knowing exactly how to approach it um i reached out to a few uh i reached out to a few i, I had my initial hypotheses my initial assumptions i listed them down i reached out to a few professors who i thought would be able to help me kind of uh Prove what was assumption, what was you know solid base to kind of build further, further intuitions on, and I kind of you know I kind of went through that filtration process, and then I had this uh, initial base to start with, like a hypotheses that were so ambiguous, and I kind of went forward from there. Then I kind of put together this pipeline. I found some bioinformatics tools that were open source for me to use, and I, um, like I said, I generated about ninety nine candidates. And using a, about four different filters, I think, I, if I recall correctly, four different filters, I narrowed the candidate pool down from 99 SIRNAs to five SIRNAs. So that gave me in the end five uh, RNA sequences, basically, um, that were um, computationally at least feasible to um, genetically, like to basically silence the genes of SARS-CoV-2 from being expressed upon infection of the cell uh, of a human cell. Um, I kind of based the idea for going about, like, like if you ask like why did I choose siRNA, I kind of based the idea off of a, current, of a paper that was done in 2005, um, um, which was basically implementing a very similar kind of approach. Basically you, you synthesize an, a, a set of siRNAs as therapeutics, and you basically deliver these siRNAs through the nose, through like the nasal passage, into a animal with uh, the original SARS virus, coronavirus. So, uh, my rationale was that, okay, if this in vivo study, which was done with mice and rhesus macaques, if this in vivo study um, proved to be very effective, and the only reason why it wasn't pursued in humans was because uh, because SARS had already passed as a pandemic by then, well, if this worked so well for a cousin, of, uh, for our, basically one of the closest cousins of the SARS coronavirus 2 that we're dealing with right now, what if I tried the same thing for this one? Which was a very big learning experience that I'm really... Um, I'm really grateful for everyone who gave kind of the, who, who gave their feedback, who allowed me to, who helped me, who gave me feedback on, on the the research proposal. It was, it was really valuable. So that was probably wow. the big major project that I was doing for the last two months.
0: Unfortunately, we had some technical issues and we needed to stop at this point. However, we will continue with the next question, which is. Which would be a piece of advice that you would give to someone who's young, who's just entering university or high school and wants to pursue their passion?
1: It depends if you know what your passion is or not. I I think most young people have no idea, or at least a a, a little to no idea of what that passion is. Um, I consider myself to be lucky because I did a lot of exploration in high school. So for a lot of people who know me, I may seem like the bio guy, Mm -hmm. but, this came from four, about four or five years of just unapologetic exploration in high school, where I did a bunch of kind of like extracurriculars and also um, like I, I did extracurriculars that exposed me to people who were interested in different fields. So I checked out the world of international relations. I checked out um, the, like uh, entrepreneur, like standard like um, software entrepreneurship. I checked out um, what was it like, uh, fi- like finance and asset management. Yeah. I, I kind of dipped my toes in, like, all these different fields when I was in high school. And I think for those of us who, let's say, you know, didn't ha- didn't do this in high school, you know, undergrad is a perfect opportunity to kind of get to know what exactly you want. Like, yeah, to, to get to know, at least in a more vaguer sense, uh, at least in a somewhat vague sense, or, sorry, just, just cut that part out, sorry. Um, undergrad is kind of a really good time to get to know uh, what some of these hidden interests you have are. Now, the key is that... Um, with these interests and these passions that you may have it's not like you will find it on the floor like it's not like you're finding a quarter on the floor it's like oh that's a passion mm-hmm. um that's a very big lesson to learn from tks um it does require a degree of effort and time to kind of put into something and then after a while of effort and time and trying to figure it out then you can make the value call okay do i actually like this or uh should i or should like do i actually like this and do i actually want to spend more time on this or do i want to keep exploring and find something else um, how much time you need to put and how much effort you need to put, I don't know as I, if I can quantify that into a number. It's more like it depends on the person. But um, basically, the the TLDR for my my perspective is like unapologetically explore. Um, that is probably the biggest favor you can do for yourself um, as a young person who may not necessarily know exactly what they want to do. Even me, I am still unapologetically exploring. So. I haven't mentioned this at all in this podcast specifically, but um, despite me being a research student who is, you know, focusing on bioengineering, synthetic biology, and coding, and the computer programming, um, I am also an electric guitarist and some poet. So I am also myself unapologetically exploring as an artist, and also as a student, because I am also trying out different areas of the bio, right? I mentioned um, self free synthetic biology, I mentioned uh you know the bioinformatics side computational biology i mentioned immunology and what i didn't mention is that the um a lot of the interest i've had is also being in um implementing new CRISPR systems like CRISPR prime or um new genetic engineering systems like like adenosine base editors. like i have a lot of interest and yeah. uh, i myself i'm still exploring like, i'm still a work in progress here so it, it really is like this process of unapologetically exploring and um yeah and like and specifically for undergrads like there will be some programs where they there'll be some programs in university where they say there's like a specialist like you can do an immunology specialist or a um i don't know a uh, cell and system biology specialist yeah i personally don't recommend that unless you're gun set like you're a gun ho set on that field um undergrad has a lot of wide variety of courses in and outside of the field you love so like personally for me i'm taking microeconomics as well as uh, this political science psychology course. And basically like these, like knowledge about the outside world, outside of your field will compound along with your technical knowledge, along with the people you know. So it's my, like being an undergrad, you're only gonna go, be able to go so deep, you might as well unapologetically explore. If you wanna go really, really deep into something, that's what your PhD is for.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that's a really good advice that I'm sure is going to be very valuable for everyone listening, no matter their age, and I'm gonna follow it myself. So unfortunately, we've come to the end of this episode, but I really need to thank you, Michael, for being here with us sharing some really, really valuable knowledge, and also all your passion and enthusiasm for synthetic biology. So I wish you the best for all the projects to come, and I hope we see you soon.
1: Thanks so much for having me, and I really love what you're doing here, and um, keep it up. Thanks!
0: I hope you've really enjoyed this episode, which was kind of different, but very interesting, of course. And I hope that after this, you go and share it with all your friends, because the future isn't going to create itself. I'll be reading your comments in the Twitter thread. Please let me know if you'd like to be a guest to this podcast. Feel free to contact Michael. I'll leave his social media links in the description below. And as always, I'll see you in the next week. Bye!